I know you're not Thomas Edison. This will only take a moment and it will not be repeated. They study and dissect your work, trying to decipher what is your particular American genius. Only boring people are bored. We don't need to talk about this anymore. I promise. I married you for your heart, not your hands. Don't pout. Baby Jean can't write. I just have to say... That was my idea. You got something better? Might. Welcome to Mad Men, Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015, and we're changing the conversation of the show all these years later, where one of us is a first-time watcher, uh, one, one of us watched it when it came out i'm sorry mike mike why are you driving that lawnmower mike mike stop mike mike get out of the way (laughs) i've heard of breaking the glass ceiling not the glass wall i'm john agroni and i too get punished for making this podcast look easy and uh there's will ashton and i'm afraid of what's going to happen if he turns off the podcast hey will hey there and uh, oh, look over there! Oh man, they 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 study and dissect Mike Overholz, trying to decipher his particular American genius. Hey, Mike. Hi, John. Pleasure as always. Right, right when you got your foot in the podcast, folks. We are talking about another episode of Mad Men, which is season three, episode six. Guy walks into an advertising agency. I first want to say, Mike, we missed you last week. We had Ben Crew on. We called him uh, Better Mike um, while he was here. Uh, we still call him that, technically. Will and I on the sly. I uh, hope you don't mind. Uh, I always call him like Mike. Well, well yes, yeah. but then we got to know him, and we were like, oh, better Mike fits. Yeah, yeah. you guys went through that whole restructuring, that reorganization of the podcast, and I'm the only one who got a promotion. <laughs> no, we, we penciled you in, you know, and the Mike Overholz, his name isn't on, it isn't there at all. <laughs> I, love, I love Robert Morse's delivery of that line so much. And I also love the image of the guy, like literally writing Roger's name. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's one of the best bits because the the visual of it, him just doing it quickly, mm-hmm. it's great. Mike, real quick though, uh, the fog, great episode of the show. Did you have like a one or two sentence summation of how much you liked or disliked it? Wow, of the fog. Um, I, I will say it's been like what two, three weeks since I watched the episode. Um, mm. I, I say, you know, it's a little foggy, John. One would say. The episode itself. Well, do you, I mean, I know it's like a more dreamy sequence than uh, we've gotten in a while. Bit of a Matthew Weiner kind of episode. And so, yeah. But I, I think we, what we talked about with Ben was that uh, some people consider The Fog this really great episode. I really love this episode. And I know Mike and I, we were championing the just the idea the prospect of what will ashen's face looked like like during the moment in this episode um first i'll say leslie linkaglatter directed this episode uh he also directed love among the ruins earlier this season uh which i think was uh definitely the least liked episode i think for you two i was like okay with it but i think you two were a little bit more negative on that one and uh, before that, uh, Gladder did uh, A Night to Remember back in season two. A good episode of that one. Um, and then also uh, The Benefactor, which is an episode that uh, I didn't like as much. So what are you going to do? Uh, oh, and 5G uh, back in season one. But yeah, Will, without further ado, I mean, oh, and sorry, I, I got to say, Robin Byth and Matthew Weiner wrote the episode. Weiner is back after not writing The Fog. Will. Yes. Guy walked into the advertisement. Literally, his name is Guy McKendrick. He was a guy. Mm-hmm. Guy's guy. And I mean, I just want to know, like, Mike and I will share our thoughts on what it was like when we watched this for the first time. What was yours? I was going to say, I mean, I feel like your reaction was probably more genuine or like more surprised. You saw this coming? Well, no, because I don't know if you remember, um, like this was, I told you guys a while back, but I don't think I ever mentioned on the podcast because we... I didn't want to spoil anything, obviously, but um, I think late last year, uh, a coworker of mine, her dad, came to uh, the theater, and she was 
they were both there to see the movie and they were just kind of getting to know us and catch up. And she had mentioned kind of offhandedly like, Oh, uh, we'll host a Mad Men podcast or co-host a podcast about Mad Men. And I was, you know, kind of talking a lot, a little bit. And then the dad was just like, Oh man, I love that one episode where that British asshole guy gets his foot cut off by the lawnmower. <laughs> I had to like pause. So when you saw the lawnmower and the John Deere, you're like, "Oh hell yeah, this is." Well, I mean, I I I, um had seen somewhere either on Twitter or elsewhere, I had seen the image of like Paul and everybody with like their blood spattered on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul and Harry and text was for that. But then when I had heard about the lawnmower thing, I was like, "Oh, okay, so it's for that." And then when I saw uh, Ken riding the motorcycle, or motorcycle, the uh, lawnmower, I was like, oh, okay, so this is the episode where uh, that guy gets his foot cut off. So it wasn't really like a surprise, but I think considering the pacing of the episode, uh, it feels kind of appropriate that it's like the dread was still communicated to me. Like, it, it, even though I knew what the dread was building up to, it was still kind of just like this pronounced sense of like, Oh, bad stuffs are gonna stuff is gonna happen. Like there's well, clearly- they shoot it like an action scene. Right, like, you kind of feel like the horror, like something is gonna happen. Because you get the lawnmower right. POV. <laughs> like, well, and you, you see Lois Michael Myers. Like, it. <laughs> Lois is just kind of like she's like the characters in Phantom Thread when they're like in the car, you know. <laughs> and you're like, uh oh, this is a little shaky. Uh, so, Mike, we should talk about our first reactions. I mean, yeah, you got into the show a little bit later into it. I watched it. Third season was like when I was still catching up on the show. So I was watching it in like 2011, 2010. So like only a year or so after the the episode came out. So what, what was your reaction when that happened, seeing it for the first time? I feel like this is a like Mount Rushmore moment of, of Mad Men for me. It, completely by surprise, I wasn't spoiled for me. Even you mean as it's like, like a one re-watch. of the four moments that you put on a mountain where you're just like, that is such a Mad Men moment that I hold in regard. Yeah, not even like the, I'm not saying like the best four moments, but I just mm-hmm. feel like it's such a a memorable moment. Like when I yeah. rethink of my time watching the show, like this is something I would bring up to a group of friends as we reminisce. We should we should come back to that because uh, I want to know Will's Rushmore uh, in this in this sense. I want to know mine. I don't I don't really know uh, where I, where I would put everything, but uh, yeah, that's oh. interesting. Okay, I got you. This also, is right uh, right behind playing songs on your on your zipper. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah before i forget i think you might have misgendered the director uh leslie lanka gladder is a woman i think you said oh, ap- uh, apologies apologies um yes leslie lanka gladder is a woman uh she worked on not just mad men but uh homeland as well so i think i was getting her confused with uh another director of the show sorry about that you're all good yeah i mean i'm just looking up uh her filmography i did not realize that uh she directed the film now and then i've never seen it but i've I've heard of it hmm. the one with the rosie o'donnell and christina ritchie oh i did not know that it's kind of like a 90 staple for certain people i don't know i've never seen it like i said but i don't know i know it's it's well liked among certain camps hmm. you said rosie o'donnell we knew it was from the 90s <laughs> sure um so man wow this episode i just yeah lots to say uh the ratings for this one or when uh, we, we did perk down a little bit after last week. Last week, we were at 1.75, which was a, a jump from episode four. Uh, but, you know, it's been pretty stable. This is like a, a little bit down from week, uh, week five. Yeah, but still solid, still holding. Uh, next week is when it's going to perk back up again and then kind of never look back, quite honestly. Um, good episode of the show. I, I definitely... I like it a lot. I, I think that there are aspects about it that don't always gel super cohesively for me. Uh, maybe they do for you. But I think what I like the most in this episode, personally, it, it's not just that moment of like the, the foot and, and obviously like the surprise factor of that. But honestly, it's like this is just a really good Don episode. Like seeing him go to toe to toe with first Roger, uh, yeah. watching him go to toe with his own expectations, having them dashed. And then quickly scrambling to go up against Conrad Hilton. And I mean, the the scene between him and Hilton is just like such a like wow factor kind of moment, considering like these are such two enigmatic personalities. We, we saw them, of course, a few episodes ago. And on that note, Will, 
Conrad mm. Hilton, the, the mystery has been solved. I know you d- you didn't know, uh, like we did at the time, that that was supposed to be Conrad Hilton. But uh, what wh- were you thinking, uh, what was going through your head while you were watching, where you're kind of like, oh, who could this be? Oh, Conrad Hilton, why is he calling Don? Is this a prank? Well, for for one, I want to figure out, is toe-to-toe, was that pun intended or unintended? Unintended, since, uh, I mean, he's not the one who got his toe, his toes cut no. off, I mean. I know, I know. But uh, I'm sorry, so what's the question now? Conrad Hilton. Um, I mean, this was a surprise to you, right? That uh, Hilton was the, the guy in the bar we saw back in my old Kentucky home. The one who was like hang, uh, talking with Don in the bar. Okay. Did you forget that? <laughs> Did I, not... It's been a couple of days. Well, so here's the thing. like You guys wanted me to watch this episode pretty early in advance because you guys were like, oh man, this is a July. This week is uh, the week of July 4th. And you guys were like, man, if you don't watch this episode <laughs> by 4th, you are a dummy and a loser. And I watch it, and you guys go like, you know, you forget to tell me that it's on a July 4th episode. It's a July 3rd episode. So it doesn't even... About July 4th. And yeah, it's not... It, it's about America, I guess. So I think yeah. Mike and I outrank oh, you on this one. Will, we do a weekly Mad Men podcast do you know what the chances are that we would get to the july 3rd episode on fucking july 4th yeah that is actually pretty wild i i was kind of like wait what how did we do that <laughs> it I was not intended i know i mean and by the time this episode comes out it'll probably be september so <laughs> that's true summer will be over but uh people will be like what are you talking about it's time yeah. for christmas right but uh but no i mean um so okay you might need to refresh me a little bit. I apologize. This All right. Fresh. <laughs> so do you recall in my old Kentucky home, uh, Don is at that kind of racist party, the country club party with Betty and everybody okay. from Sterling yeah. Cooper. And then he goes to the bar to make an old fashioned and there's an yeah, old yeah. guy uh, there. And we don't know who he is. And he makes the drink for him and they have a very interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's who this is in this episode. Who calls Donna because he asked around and figured out who oh. he was and Oh okay okay. okay. Yeah, I I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about the uh the the scene where Don left to uh explain, you know, why yeah. uh the guy was messing up for making the hotel mascot a mouse. Mike, I don't I don't want to cause trouble, but I'm not sure we'll watch the whole episode. I did watch the whole episode. <laughs> well, we did ask him to watch it pretty late at night during a pretty heavily uh, drinking holiday. So who knows what, <laughs> what state he was in. That's true. That's true. Maybe he's oh. experiencing a fog of his own. Um, he's like Joan's husband, just coming home, stumbling mm-hmm. in, watching the episode. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to ask you, Will. So, you know, Joan. Joan Harris, as we know her now. This <clears> is her last day. And uh, what do you think? I mean, do you think we're going to get more Joan in a series, or do you think this is it for the character? I mean, I'd be very surprised with the last we saw of Joan. But uh, yeah, I mean, as much as you were highlighting the the Dawn Factor episode, which I I certainly appreciate, I feel like the stuff that I find myself uh, really uh, responding to was the Joan stuff. I think maybe just because it has been kind of a hot minute since we've had such a joan centric episode or at least like like i feel like joan's usually kind of designated to like the c plot or like kind of like she's there obviously and then like you know we get some scenes like last week i feel like she's in the boardroom for like just the beginning if i recall correctly or maybe that was two episodes ago um but yeah i mean it was just really refreshing and then also just kind of uh heartbreaking to see her uh continuously troubled marriage just continuing to get worse and worse and worse yeah, I know you're not the biggest fan of Greg. Um, we, I mean, we aren't either. Uh, not even Mike is. And uh, yeah, Greg, he just... What strikes me about that scene is you're watching Joan really just have the patience of a mountain. I mean, I just do not understand. She is laying there on the couch. You know, the record is playing. They really put that into the scene. They really make it clear that she has just been like there to celebrate with this guy. He wanders in the middle of the night, completely drunk, and she doesn't yell at him. She doesn't scream. She doesn't lose it. She is just sort of like taking care of him. It's almost like it's so maternal, but it's maternal in kind of a pathetic way. 
to view this guy who is like so undeserving of her and unworthy of her. Yeah. And it just obviously like falls apart. And I think he's so used to being emasculated by that fact. Like, I think we've seen him, you know, there's the scene, there's of course the episode where he rapes her. And what the reason that that happens is we see that he is just such a, he's so insecure and he is so like, I want to be, you know, this, you know, version of masculinity that I see the world sort of like, or the world tells me I need to be. And then he acts in a way that he acts in this very evil way in order to try to catch that because he's so threatened by Joan's femininity, her power, her sort of like uh, assuredness. And I think by the time we get to this episode, we see that like in a way she's just like, he's so used to how in control and how calm she is. I just can't help but feel. And then the acting here sells it so well. I mean, some of the best acting from that actor who plays Greg, uh, I just see him just like totally just, admit defeat in the sense of like, yeah, I'm, you know, he's, he feels worthless in this moment. He's not the sort of like raging lunatic that maybe you might've expected. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that really uh, impresses me about this episode, uh, just in terms of uh, structure and pacing is that even though we have these kind of divergent storylines, there's this kind of building sense of tension that never quite eases throughout the episode. And, and we see that because like a, each character is uh, kind of unable to communicate properly, like the feelings or the anxieties that they are producing. And certainly that's the case with Sally and uh, her trepidation with baby Jean, but also with uh, Joan, just kind of like not really knowing the state of her marriage. And also like later on in that scene that you're referring to, knowing something's up with Greg and he's resistant to really talk about with her as we had seen, I believe earlier in the season, there was a dinner party they had where it was communicated, uh, no pun intended that they don't really uh, have a um, communication as husband and wife. Like he kind of keeps a lot of things. Yeah. Up. Um, you know, he deliberately doesn't really bring um, his problems or his uh, work troubles to her. Uh, and he's just kind of keeping up appearances or rather just trying to like kind of make himself look better as we were kind of uh, hinting with this sense of uh, masculation. It's interesting because um, this past week I've been watching a number of uh, kitchen sink melodramas. Uh, and the one I just watched today was Todd Haynes is uh, far from heaven. I don't know if either of you had seen that film, but um, son of a bitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've been watching these kitchen sink dramas. Melodramas, um, but no, melodramas. I mean, and instead, that? you won't watch the kitchen drama slash dramedy that I have been telling like over and over again. You won't watch the bear, no matter what I oh. do, no matter what I say. But then you're just like, oh, I'm gonna watch this whatever thing, uh, Far from Heaven. Who gives a shit? And like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing anymore, Mike. I mean, I mean, should I just should I just give up? Should I should I just well? Delete my account. The John, what's the best? What's what does an account man do? Get drunk until two a.m. He lets then, things go. Oh. He learns to let things go to get what he wants. And he puts people at ease. Yeah. Anyway, um, well, for one, there was a trailer for the bear before Far From Heaven. If that makes you feel better, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm sure there was. Even there the was. algorithm is just like, Will, no, seriously, like the fuck you doing, dude? <laughs> like this is your kind of show, bro. I saw it at Repertoire Theater where they always show the same commercial for the bear. So I hope you feel better about that. Um, like I can but, understand if Mike doesn't watch it because he's just, I know he'll get to it. But I know with I you, Will, you're, you're a more fickle beast. But anyway, uh, Far From Heaven is a, um, a 50s-based uh, melodrama about the seemingly idyllic uh, couple our married couple and they also have like kids and uh, they, they try to keep up appearances but uh, the husband played by Dennis Quaid is uh, a closeted gay man. He is he, he, the big issue with their marriage is that they can't really communicate uh, what he's going through and, and like trying to keep this like, you know, thing hidden away, you know? Uh, but yeah, just kind of, I, and I also love that. Um, there's something very evocative about uh, another film I saw, which is uh, all the heaven allows, which is uh, inspiration for this, where that movie uses color and shadow in the same way that that made um that seemed really reminiscent for me because that's another scene where they're literally kind of in the dark about each other, but you kind of see these glows and lights and like, you know, they kind of come to the forefront also in the back. It's just very uh, interesting filmmaking and some really keyed in direction that, you know, made me feel fortunate that I got to 
uh, see a film that kind of brought that more to my attention. Watch this episode. That's interesting. I, I, I'm going to turn it to you, Mike, because I'm just going to say it, it, with so much stuff, talk about marriage. You're the one who's getting close to the whole marriage thing that's happening. And so like, I, I'm kind of curious if you're feeling that, you know, anxiety a little bit from the show. Guys, damn, you know, it, it's a little bit later here. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I, I don't know how to tell her. That mm. I ain't got no brains in my fingers. <laughs> what are these that, fingers doing, Mike? That is the best line, I think. Well, actually, it's not the best line in this. I love episode, you for your but... heart, not your hands. And then he's like, yeah, yeah. No, just the fact he tells the story of that this, this doctor sits him down, gives him yeah, a yeah. drink. And the way he tells him his career is over, he, he's obviously thought about it. This man decides to say, you ain't got no brains in your fingers. That's just a writer's like dream. That's just such a great line that they were able to throw in there and make. Weiner it. got that from uh, I think he said his dad. His dad is a doctor, not a surgeon, but a doctor, and he like he taught. He gets a lot of the the doctor politics from people he knows in real life. Specifically, that whole thing of like how doctors bullshit each other and like don't write like negative things about them. Like that's a real thing that happens. And it's so cool how he ties that to advertising because it kind of is a similar thing uh, in terms of like, yeah, it's like all bullshit. But to answer your question, John, I mean, obviously I do think about this when I see all these marriages, you know, with, with obviously Don and Betty and now, you know, even Sal, not that I'm a closeted gay man, but just the fact that, you know, I, I, I feel thankful that I, I do feel like my relationship with, with Hannah is, is so transparent and that she is someone who is not predictable, but someone whose, whose actions and emotions I've come to really understand and, 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 and can, uh, you know, know. And I feel the same way. I feel very seen by her. Someone where I can just fully be myself and not have to be this picturesque husband or the idea of uh, what I think she wants a husband to be, but just be Mike and just be Mike, which is really great. Yeah, I mean, uh, a show that definitely tackles this stuff a lot is the new one, Platonic, on Apple TV, which is, uh, that's Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen. And in that show, uh, Rose Byrne is married to, I forget the actor's name, but it was the guy from that movie, Bros. And a lot of the show is about her marriage with him and how they navigate the weirdness around, like, how she wants to go back to work and how she has this, like, very very deep kinship with another person specifically another guy but it's also a show about how like it can be so complicated when you're in a marriage or even just a close relationship marriage or not and like you have like a real closeness with any friend whether or not they're you know they're somebody who is of like a gender that you're attracted to and there's something really interesting to say about that and you know mad men mad men's a little bit more simplistic with this stuff because it is tackling a time of a different era and it also is a show that you know, at this point is being made in 2009. So it, it is, I think on the one hand, we're fortunate enough to have the, I think TV shows are getting better and better at telling these stories and finding more and more insights about marriage and long-term relationships that honestly, I think yeah, we can go not that far back. <laughs> it's not that, uh, we, there are not a lot of shows that do it in a super interesting way, but yeah, no, I think Will, Mike, and I are agreeing with you that the Jones stuff in this episode is really good and uh, probably one of the main events. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I talk about how I'm trying to like better myself and culture myself by watching these like great films like Douglas Sirk's All the Heaven Allows, Todd Haynes is Far from Heaven, uh, Fast Binders, uh, Ollie Fury, It's a Soul. And you're going on about this show that doesn't even exist on Apple TV. <laughs> It's Nicholas Stoller. You like Nicholas Stoller, right? I, I mean, I thought. But Apple shows don't exist, except for Severance and Ted Lasso. It's it's so no. funny, Will, because you're... Hijack like, is pretty good. You're one of the... Will, you're one of the few people I know who literally... You'll look like gaslight yourself. <laughs> like, you don't need other people to do it. <laughs> you'll just be like, no, Will, it doesn't exist. And everyone's like, Will, are you okay? <laughs> um, I mean, you could say these names. I don't even know what the one Mike was talking about. I mean, I know that one doesn't exist. All right. All right. Well, speaking of being afraid of things you don't understand, um, Sally and baby Jean, I think we all understand that Sally, played by Kiernan Shipka, wants to murder this baby. Um, I think, Will, you directly messaged us and we're like, I do not trust uh, <laughs> Sally around baby Jean. I, 
Neither do we. Um, do you want to expand upon that? Um, well, I mean, look, like I feel like since season two, Sally's just been on like a crime run. You know, she's smoking cigarettes. She's crime up, spree. Sorry, crime spree. Uh, she, you know, she's beating up kids at school. She's smoking cigarettes. She's stealing she's, money. Uh, interested in the civil rights movement. You know, the the yeah. murder of Medgar Evans. Who knows what she's going to do uh, next? But yeah, so I mean, I just I see her. And I see this precious little baby infant. Uh, <laughs> You're like, like oh no, <laughs> what's going on? But I don't trust two together. <laughs> I feel it's going to be like a Rugrats the movie situation, where we're going to get a shot of like you know. Remember in that movie, there's like a moment where they recreate or reference Cain and Abel. Yes. Where, like, it's brilliant stuff honestly and uh, it's like yeah there's the the rain is falling and tommy is just like literally about to murder yeah yeah um yeah no i i, I do want to take this moment to kind of just throw a lot of praise at kieran and shipka because i think this is one of those episodes where you really see how good she is because she's so good at portraying a child and a child's like honest reactions like that whole scene where betty sits her down to give her a barbie and is just like baby jean you know gave you this and uh, on the one hand i'm watching this and i'm like bullshit i mean she's not that dumb like sally is like oh. eight eight years old turning on nine i, I mean come on will when you were eight or nine years old would you believe something like that come on no i just come I was on. laughing as if you were like reacting like bullshit baby jean didn't give her that doll <laughs> she's right she can't write yeah. but she can't read <laughs> but yeah i mean it's just like come on i like i get that sally's supposed to be innocent and naive but yeah you're right we, we've seen her smoke cigarettes we've seen her steal some cash like it's just kind of weird to me that they've like they'll infantilize her that much i don't know if it's on purpose i don't know if it's sort of like yeah you know uh, she is a bit sheltered there is that i guess but i feel like at eight nine years old i mean that's when you're sort of like i mean most kids probably don't believe in santa claus at that point or and this isn't even santa claus level this is like tooth fairy stuff i don't know am i not i do i do think you know it's of a of a day and age still where it's like people just or kids in those days weren't as like i don't know not skeptical but they just believed what their parents told them um, you know they, all the indoctrination I don't know. I mean, I think that's, I think I'm more in line with what John's saying. But to me, I thought that was kind of part of it where Betty is just kind of so distant, especially of late with the maturity that. Um, I know what it is. What was it? I know what it is. But go ahead, finish your thought. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I just feel like Betty's just been kind of out of step with Sally and her progression in a way that, like, Dawn seems to be a little bit more in tune with right now. And I feel like the fact that she's sort of. Uh, infantizing her daughter a little bit when she's clearly kind of going through her own kind of emotional maturity was a deliberate choice. Like I feel like that was, she also sees Sally as like an extension of herself and not as her own person. So she's like, yeah, yeah. So Um, I don't know. Yeah. To me, I thought that was kind of a intentional choice in the writer's part. I think though, I think I know what's happening here. I think Sally, let's remember, believes that baby Jean is a ghost. She believes that, this is literally like her dead grandfather and like, she's scared of him. And I think she actually like believes her mom (laughs) because I think she genuinely believes that like the baby is like evil. And when she says like, baby Jean can't read, it's more of her in desperation. (laughs) Just being like, this can't be happening to me because you see it all throughout the episode. It's, it's really well done where like, she won't come into the room. She won't go close to baby Jean. She's like giving him those dark looks. She freaks out with the Barbie. Um, uh, I'll give you a little bit of uh, trivia early on, but that Barbie is of Jackie Kennedy and uh, a real Barbie that was coming out around that time for the uh, first lady. And so, uh, you know, Get it in stores now if you can. It might be hard to find. Are they bringing it back for the Barbie movie? How about that? <laughs> it, it, we That's a funny thing, isn't it? It's like we could, if we had not been in time for July 4th, we would have been in time for the Barbie movie. There's always something Mad Men fans can enjoy, I guess. Sure. And we'll be late for both of them when this episode comes out. <laughs> I do appreciate the Sally and Don kind of connection here. Mike, did anything stick out to you about about all that stuff i mean i know i feel like you've never been that big of a sally fan but you don't want to like crush our spirits i fucking hate sally i know i is it the list 
it's it's everything. I just I find her just like she's everything that Chauncey isn't. You know what I mean? <laughs> just the embodiment of just I just I can't I can't stand it. Like when and Akira because she's a great actress. You're totally right that in those scenes that she's really good with Don, she's really great. But boy, do do I you know what she, she could be the what's what's that line like? Uh, I don't, I don't even know. I just she's not. I can't even think straight. I don't like her that much. Okay, I mean I <clears throat> I I generally find her fascinating, but I mean I can kind of guess on I can get on a visceral level that she can be off putting at times, uh, particularly in this season. But yeah, I mean, I can't help but think back to when I was first watching the show and really starting to discover that this is like a real like key player of the show, that they really were putting special attention on the Sally character and what she means to Don, particularly at the end of this episode where, you know, they're kind of bonding over the baby and she, that moment where she like gets closer to baby Jean and trusts her dad. I mean, there's something really heart-wrenching about that. I think that we've seen Don be a terrible father over and over again in this show. This is one of those episodes where we see the glimmers of like when he can be a good dad, at least in like fits and starts. And I think a lot of it does come down to, I think he generally has like an, a growing affection for Sally that he doesn't fully understand himself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And something I've been noticing as well on this rewatch and probably really small, maybe, maybe not even intentional, but uh, even as of recently and in past seasons, there's a lot of scenes of Don checking in on the kids, opening the doors at the end of episodes. You know, it's the last thing and you think he's going to go have that good father moment and then he just shuts the door and moves on. Mm-hmm. And this episode opens up with him checking on her. And obviously, that's it's part of the episode of the plot development of her not being able to sleep and all these things. But, you know. I, I think it's interesting that it starts with that in this episode. And now we're getting him actually crossing that line and having those fa- fatherly moments that the whole time we've been watching the show, I think we just keep wanting Don to have ever since, you know, really the, the birthday party dog fiasco. Um, and, you know, finally he's like, okay, Don, you, you're doing it. You're doing it, bud. Great job. Yeah. You're taking your daughter seriously. Now, Bobby, that's never going to happen. <laughs> He'll never lie to Bobby, right? Uh, Matthew Weiner has said directly that he believes this whole episode is about the expectation you have, like what happens when you turn off the lights. So it's it's apt that you bring up that it, this episode starts with that fear that Sally has of like, what's going to happen when I turn off the lights? And am I not going to make it through this? Am I not going to have my dad in the morning? And I think that all the characters you can say experience that in a, in a certain way. There, there's a reason I think why when Joan is talking to Greg, they chose to keep the lights off in that scene. It's dark and dimly lit. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that there is something kind of interesting about that. Just that whole idea, because we're not dealing with something in terms of like the past or nostalgia necessarily. There even is like a whole through line of American patriotism, which is there. Uh, and, and I do want to get into like one aspect of that that I think is interesting, but they don't rub your face in it, I guess. But did, did any of that stuff connect for you, Will, or did you have a different read? No, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, I think there's a kind of cheeky irony that's deliberate uh, about like, you know, the British coming on the Fourth uh, of July weekend. Like, it's kind of a, a yeah, fun. Don says, like, oh, not too subtle, huh? Right. Um, but I mean, also like the whole, um, I mean, not to jump ahead too much, but like, the the incident even like the way that the lawnmower is kind of uh presiding around the um the office and the idea of like kind of like blood being spilled uh in a once kind of safe environment it's 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 kind of meant to be evocative of uh the uh soon to be uh, assassination of john f kennedy and like kind of like the idea of this like something that was considered sacred or something that's kind of considered uh you know precious and like the the thing that kind of made the 60s what the 60s is and kind of changed the course of history is is also kind of happening in this office in some way or another uh and obviously it's done for dark humor here but uh i i feel like it's also kind of uh you know deliberately kind of uh tongue-in-cheek uh nod you know with especially the british kind of coming in like and it being july 4th weekend all that that it is a kind of uh uh homecoming uh in many different ways we should mention that vietnam gets invoked again it was invoked last week 
And uh, yeah, worth pointing that out. And also, it's kind of funny how as soon as somebody's just like, oh, what's happening in Vietnam isn't so bad. <laughs> and then you literally see somebody lose their foot. Um, I think that there probably is something a little bit <laughs> direct there that they're trying to say. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, especially uh, with like the, the, you know, like new young guy who's kind of supposed to be considered like the yeah. next generation. Uh, you know, I think that is definitely a very uh, deliberate thing on their part. Well, also the guy who dispels, you know, oh, it's not so bad. Uh, he He's the one who's originally driving the lawnmower before he hands it over to Lewis. Uh, yeah, that's Schmitty, right? Um, Schmidt, whatever his name. The guy who uh, tried to try to get something going on with Peggy an episode or two ago. It didn't happen. Uh, so I, I did want to bring up actually on that sort of a front. First of all, the the effects of that whole scene, like the foot and like what it looks like and the blood spatter i mean pitch perfect i I think it it truly is unique for the time especially to see something that gory on a tv show i know a cable show but still like this mad men has never been a very gratuitous show uh there's not really much like nudity or anything like that It's, it's not like an hbo show in the sense like there's not a lot of, you know, like full frontal nudity, things like that. It, it, it tends to be pretty like PG-13 with only the rarest like F-bomb. And then I think that adds to the shock of like when this moment happens. I know for me, I genuinely was just like, what the hell? Like, because wh- that's not the show I was watching before <laughs> and all of a sudden. But I think that that speaks to, I think, what they're after, which is genuinely shocking things happen and you're not supposed to see them coming. And how amazing is it to do that in a show where normally stuff like that doesn't happen, right? If this happened in Sopranos, we would probably be like, oh, no, T, did you see that? You know, ah, his foot's gone. Ah, get him out of here. Like, we'd be a little bit like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, sure. But yeah, in Mad Men, not so much. Well, I mean, it's like, it is interesting that, you know, like, this is capping around the same time as like Breaking Bad. And that's a show that, you know, often is pretty gory and violent and, and uh, you know, is like the sister companion to Mad Men. So like as far and also like obviously AMC hosted uh, The Walking Dead, which also obviously is a pretty gory show. Yeah, so it's yeah. not shocking in a sense of like, oh, I can't believe this guy passed the censors or whatever. But more so like you're saying, yeah, where it's like kind of like, oh, OK, like you don't really expect this on a show like Mad Men, but it's like exactly. deliberate. Like it's it's kind of like it's meant to kind of like take you back because it's like the the cultural awakening that will happen to these characters in just a matter of time can we also talk about the fact that everybody's favorite besides will uh good guy ken tries to take responsibility like the really mature and responsible person that he is i mean he is very arrogant like you know he's just such on like his own planet in this episode of like everybody else is like really nervous about the the british people coming everyone's just like wow what's gonna happen and pete is just like on a wednesday like everyone's just kind of uh, hot and bothered the ken is like riding in on a tractor just being like what's up everybody like so double may care and obviously mike and i appreciate that we think that ken should have his fun um will is a little bit more judgmental we know Uh, unlike roger he he does like to judge I mean, uh, to your point, um, as far as the, the um, lawnmower is concerned, uh, I do think it's kind of, and like you were saying, like with like Vietnam, uh, I, th- that scene, like just before we see the lawnmower, where we kind of hear like the noise, it's kind of meant to be evocative of like a chopper and like the like kind of idea of this, like, you know, like the war is kind of let it like, go overhead and like kind of like, you know, can't really be ignored at a certain point. I don't know. I thought that was kind well, of nice. Especially, no, you're right, because then it's over while Peggy is trying to have a heart to heart with Joan. And it's like the intrusiveness of war, the intrusiveness of violence getting in the way of like two people, like having a genuine connection. And I think like, this is supposed to be such a big moment for Peggy. You can tell that like, she has been waiting for this. She has been kind of like building up her confidence to really just tell Joan, uh, even though it's been awkward between them, we've seen Peggy struggle to do this already just to tell her that she is like genuinely grateful for what Joan has like shown her. And even though she doesn't, you know, I think there's a lot of how like Joan is such a maternal kind of mother Mary figure. And I think that Peggy takes that to the extreme, uh, particularly with the relationship with her own mother, like deteriorating with like the TV stuff and moving into Manhattan. I think that there is this renewed sense for Peggy to like make things right with Joan and to see that get cut off is just a little bit uh it's a little bit sad for our girl i would say um 
but I'll also, I mean, Peggy does get a, a few fun moments in this episode, just kind of like doing her best to try to like navigate the weirdness of workplace culture. Like when the guy is like walking around and she like walks out of her office, just like, I, I'm just writing copy. <laughs> it's just like, we love you, Peggy. Here are your flowers. Love the different reactions to the same line that guy gave both Pete and, and Peggy, though. Just like, again, great writing. Great, great, great way to show us how two different characters are going to react. And also how shitty it is that he would say that to everybody he's meeting. Yeah, Weiner said that he had uh, Bill Clinton in mind when he was writing this character of like, Bill Clinton had this way of making people feel like the things he was saying to them were like unique, <laughs> you know? Like making you feel like he's he genuinely means what he's saying to you in terms of like, you're something special, kid. You know what I mean? Um, and kind of fitting for for Bill Clinton, wouldn't you say, in terms of workplace uh, infidelities? Um, Are you comparing having an affair with your secretary to getting your foot cut off by a lawnmower by a secretary? No, of course not. I was just mentioning how his relationship with Hillary Clinton reminds me of Joan and Greg. That's all. Um, I'm just confused because... He did not have sexual relations with that woman. But he did inhale it. And we just had that whole weed episode. You know he would have joined in. He would have had a great time. I did want to bring up company reorgs. You know, that's I, I definitely, over the he, course of rewatching this show, Mike, and I know Will's probably not as much into this, because Will's always been a bit more of a rebel just for kicks, not as much of a corporate stooge like me and the Mike. Um but I genuinely, Mike, over the course of me watching this show first in college and then in my first job, and then like over the course of my career, every time we get to the reorg stuff, I'm like, not this shit again. Because it like just becomes every single time, I'm just like, I know how this is going to go. And it becomes more and more fitting. Uh, same for you? Oh, absolutely. The social jockeying, man, I've been a part of two companies being acquired and both times. It's just... Like, especially the second time, you know, the, the pit in your stomach just sinks because you know it's going to happen. It, it it feels like corporate war. It's just, it's not fun and it doesn't feel like any of it's fair. It's it's the worst. Yeah, it really is. I know, Will, you're, you're witnessing this from afar. You know, it's only a, but a fantasy to you. You're just like, well, I, I know about company reorgs. I watch Severance. True, yeah. That's the Apple show that does exist, yeah, yeah. right? That, that's one of the ones that does exist. Yeah, you are correct. Damn, you got him. You've been waiting. Mm. <laughs> you fell yeah. right to that trap. Um, I wanted to say uh, the Roger and Don stuff in this episode. I think it's cool that Bert, you know, is a little bit more forthcoming with them. And it's just like kiss and make up, you know, and like trying to get them to be friends again. I think it is palpable for like the people in the workplace there. And I think for us watching that, like there is such a different energy with Don and Roger, you could just tell that that like sort of spark between them in season one and a lot of season two is just it's just evaporated. Uh, do you think, Will? You know, I know you're you're still moving through. Do you think that this is the the return of a beautiful friendship? What do you think? I mean, I can't say for certain, but I certainly hope it is. What do you think of the uh, the half apology slash non apology that Don gives? He's just like, I'd rather not talk about this anymore. <laughs> we don't yeah. have to talk about it. That seems about right. I don't know. It's fitting with their relationship. I mean, I feel like they'd rather just kind of brush things under the rug than really like kind of address them hands on. And uh, you know, I feel like Rogers kind of got a lot on his plate already as it is, uh, personally and professionally. So. I mean, maybe those troubles will bond them. I will find out. I think it's interesting because like Don is sort of in that mode where he thinks he might be going to London, right? And he might just sort of be like, well, I'm just going to like get out of here. And I, I, I sort of, when I, when I consider what this episode is saying with that, on the one hand, I'm like, well, why would Don want to leave New York? Why, why would he want to just jet off to London all of a sudden? But then oh. it, it is pretty fitting with his character, isn't it? He likes to just run away, redefine himself you know, kind of solve his problems by surrounding himself with new circumstances. He's always about moving forward. And so you almost kind of wonder, like, you know, maybe that's why he was tempted by McCann. Um, so the, what's interesting about his character is he is like that, but where's the line on that? And that, I think, is the key to his character is, like, he's always figuring out what the line is for him and whether or not he's going to run away. Um, when, oh, I was going to say real quick, um, I thought it was clever on the writer's part uh you know like they talked uh, a lot about like Bert loving the phrase london fog and it not being a real thing and then having the fog and then this episode 
uh, Don is kind of filling uh, Betty's heads with fantasy about London. So, you know, London fog. That was a nice... Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a stretch, Well, I'm not going to lie to you. Normally, mm. I'd give it to you, but that one's a little bit fuzzy. Mm. A little bit foggy, almost. Mm. I think it's there. Mike, Mike, do you do you disagree? Are you into it? I'm sorry. Into what Will's saying? Yeah. You buy oh, it? Oh, yes. Yes. Are right, you win yeah. this one, Will. Yeah. I'm always going to take Will's side, just because someone has to. <laughs> That's true. Someone, someone's got to do it. But I was it. I, I just want to say that about Don, though, you know, talking about his character. When you're so self, self-absorbed and uh, the one who's actually sabotaging your own life, you're, you're delusioned to the point where you don't think it's actually you. It's always your environment. And so those types of people are always looking to quickly change their environment because that's going to solve whatever problem is having. Because if they stay in the same place for too long, they're only bound to just have to look themselves in the mirror. And that's what Don is obviously always avoiding between, you know, changing who his affairs are with, changing where he wants to be, running away, what have you. Glad you mentioned that because uh, I, I do think another through line of the episode, it, it's something that Weiner has touched on a little bit too. Uh, there is in this episode a, a really like pervasive sense of the like the city world and the country world. And we know that Don, at this point, he comes from farmers. He grew up in the country, Illinois and Pennsylvania, in terms of like living in rural places. And he's always been about redefining himself. And I think there's something very specific about the John Deere tractor and how out of place it is in this workplace, and like how the you know the country mouse in the Hilton ad that he shows Don, Don immediately sees that and points out the sort of like weird sort of like divide between like i don't think people want that when they're in the city you know that feeling of like in in this case it's quoted as like a mouse but obviously it's not just a mouse right it's a it's an ad that's trying to attract people to go to these hotels who are from places like let's say alabama which gets invoked by greg Right. Greg brings up that, like, oh, he can't be a doctor in New York. He can't be a surgeon. He'd have to go to some place like Alabama. And so there's just like real, there's this real tension between like the South is sort of condescended upon and treated as something that's like a step backward. And the show is, I, I think, kind of, it, it's interesting in how it's getting at almost how, and maybe this is my big stretch of the night, how America itself kind of views itself that way of like, oh, I'm too good for its like humble origins. And it's like trying to always progress and be more of like the the modern sort of uh, have have like a bit of like a an ego, a little Damn. bit of like a cockiness to it. Um, because I do think that New York in particular sums up like the American sense of like a frat of a fragility um, compared to particularly Europe, uh, particularly London and such. And I think that comes through with the the Don plot here in, in terms of like seeing how. Their July 4th gets intruded upon, but, you know, he could kind of see himself in another place like London because that to him has like a glamour to it. Like that's the next step. So I think that there's some interesting through lines there. I I can tell by your faces that you're like, John's done. John's getting cooked. I mean, especially when Greg kind of talked about the Alabama thing, it reminded me of um, in Arrested Development when um, uh, uh, what's what's the name of the mom from Arrested Development? Um, Jessica yeah, Lucille, um, who's like, well, I'd rather be dead in California than alive in Arizona. Just uh, like that kind of like, you know. Arizona's not even the South. <laughs> right. I, know, I will but like say. The idea of like this sort of elitism uh, yeah, over yeah. the Midwest. Elitism. Uh, that's, that's like the word that I was kind of like, oh, if I could just get that word. Uh, that's a really good one for it. Th- there is, right? There is New York elitism. Uh, but I think what's really interesting to your point, uh, which I do think at times – strayed more into a conversation about states' right to govern themselves versus a central government. Uh, but I, I see what you're saying it's with so elitism. Political. Oh, my God. Yeah, Sorry that you were bringing up the Civil War, bro. But, uh, I didn't bring up the Civil War. <laughs> what did I, bring I think, I think, I think what's you? interesting, I think what's interesting is that it's all, what you're saying, that's all undercut, though, I think by the inhumanity of these British men who have come into the office who don't give a shit about everybody. They just want to lower profits. The man that they had to do it, they want to set them out. 
where they say the lane, no. but then the fact that how you know you're good look at, at being told you're good at doing what you're told. The the comparison of Don leaving his big meeting with Conrad just because he heard what happened to them showing up to fi- fire him before he's even out of surgery, really. To be like, well, he'll never work again because he lost his foot? I mean, you can look at that scene, too, and you can say, like, wow, that's so of the time. But honestly, that would happen today for a, an account person. Um, because, like, for sure, like, people who are disabled um, all the time are pushed out of roles like that, where you're supposed to essentially be somebody who makes people feel kind of, like, relaxed and and all of that stuff but people like see a disabled person and they have like anxiety and it's like it's super unfair and unequal but i think that that is like a, a reality of today that's a completely unfair you're not wrong in in that regard but i don't think it's happening in the hospital bed sub two hours from <laughs> no, no, it's not the foot being removed <laughs> no no and, and i think that it's like yeah it is very tragic of like the the f- how flippant they are um, and I do like that the show isn't afraid to like kind of pinpoint. Uh, I think sometimes the TV shows, especially of this era, can sort of like glamorize European culture and, and British people. And Mad Men wasn't afraid to kind of just like be like, well, America has its like weirdness. We're going to make fun of America all the time, but we're also going to show a lot of, you know, sort of like Brit elitism and like who else can match that. And uh, yeah, I think there's something kind of interesting about that. Uh, particularly, like, again, I, just watching those two, like St. John and, and all of them, just be utterly condescending to like everybody they come into contact with. And I, I really felt for, for Lane Price in this episode too, but I think that it's, it, it's definitely like a, a weird bittersweet moment, I guess, of like, well, this means that Lane gets to stay in the show. Jared Harris gets to stay in the show. I hope, Will, that put a smile on your face. I, I would also just bookmark this moment too, because I think his sentiment, I'm talking directly to Will, uh, his sentiment of, uh, I, I witnessed my own funeral and I didn't enjoy the eulogy, mm-hmm. I think is a big uh, mark in, in Lane's character arc. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, I mean, I kind of figured uh, this wasn't the end of Lane, because I know you had said, I think the first time we saw him, that it was like a character you really appreciated. And I was like, well, there's no way this is the end unless... You know, you just really loved his like penny pinching ways of being <laughs> yeah. like, it's like, oh, wow, John's such a frugal bastard. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but I will say that the uh, uh, reveal of the the like Bombay uh, yeah. um, trans or, uh, exporting was like really effective. Like it kind of feels like almost like a mafia thing where it's like he's going to like pull a head out of the yeah. uh, box or something. Um, yeah, it was just pretty, uh, you know, it adds to that sense of, uh, dread and that kind of, uh, terror that's found throughout the episode. When you guys see scenes like that still, do you, is the, fr- do you still, the first thing you think of is what's in the box? From <laughs> Yeah, be honest. Not as often as I should. No. I mean, I was thinking about that when I was ex- uh, explaining my thoughts on that scene. So, uh, that's a, you know, uh, tip of the hat to you. That scene, you know, obviously the, in the finale of Barry without spoilers, it's still like I can't I can't get it out of my head. I definitely need to finish Barry. I definitely felt that way about that. Uh, I think it was the penultimate episode of Barry. But yeah, um, yeah definitely. you're right. You're right. All right. Well, I just had a couple other notes to get to and not too much trivia. Uh, first note I had here was I really love the barbershop set that they did for this. I don't know if it's real. I tried to find out, um, but it looks really good. Um, if it is just like a set uh, because it, it really took me back. Yeah. I did appreciate that the, um, whatever that machine is, the like kind of like, yeah. Saws the soldiers has a similar noise to the the lawnmower. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Is it really that similar? That's pretty great. I think that's just electricity, man. Or like motorized. (laughs) It's just a sound. (laughs) That gurgle, like that machine machinery gurgle. It just kind of felt very, I don't know. I felt that was probably a deliberate choice. I think Will just has like Vietnam flashbacks that just kind of. That's just interchangeable parts, my dude. <laughs> my dude. Um, I did want to mention too that like the part where like Don kind of slaps his face and goes, whoa, like I still do that to this day. For 12 years since I first watched this show, I genuinely like will like shave or do. Honestly, I'll just be walking down the street and I'll just slap my face and go, 
what? Like really loud. Um, it was great. Uh, you guys should try it if you don't. Um, I just thought you did the home alone where you like slap your hands and do the, yeah, <laughs> that's too, that would hurt my throat a little bit if I had to do the whole scream too. Nah. Uh, and then the last thing I had here, Dale, Oh no, sorry. I had two things. There's Dale. There's also the fact that like hooker hooks up with the secretary, but not much to bring up there. He's a weird character. Uh, Dale. Um, I keep thinking that he like stops working there and I'm, I'm like now convinced that he is in the entire show and I just forgot him until we were watching this week to week. But Dale's the character who is like wearing the glasses. He's one of the writers. He was in season two. He was that character. He was in season one as well, but he always just like shows up and disappears. And then in season two, he's like kind of like bad at his job and like Peggy outdoes him. And he like doesn't show up one day because he's like sick or whatever. And then we don't see him. I'm just like, oh, maybe he's gone. Maybe he got fired. And then in this episode, he shows up again out of the blue. So I am officially going to be doing Dale sightings from now on. Because I actually think there's something to this guy that maybe I just missed on all my other rewatches, and I want to get to the bottom of who is he? What's his deal? So you're, so you're saying that like when he gets the call, it's like, hey, we want you back for Mad Men. You know, yeah. like, he's probably gonna be like, this is the one where they all get to be the hero. And like, no, he's gonna need you to be a piece of shit again, uh, but only no. for like. Three minutes. I love what if it like you know that in the script it's written for him that way and then every time like right as he's getting out of the makeup chair they're like here's some rewrites and it's down to that either yeah. cut out or two minute scene. He was supposed to be in the scene with Freddie Rumson, um, like PM himself, and like like no 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 we had to take you out. Uh, we just gave your lines to Ken, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and yeah, and then I just had a little bit of trivia here, uh, not a lot honestly. Um. Uh, one thing was that Matthew Weiner, he compared the production value of this episode to the jet set uh, in terms of just being an achievement and how they were able to get the whole thing accomplished. It, it just was a lot of things to shoot, a lot of complicated stuff to shoot as well. Um, he also uh, noted that uh, he finds it interesting that uh, Roger doesn't even notice that he's on the chart until Bert points it out which I hadn't noticed, honestly, um, until he had said that, but I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, other than that, there's a whole mention of the Prime Minister of uh, England um, having a thing for prostitutes, and then uh, John Hooker uh, kind of has his like little comment about that. This is the Profumo scandal, which I honestly had never heard of, um, but yeah, apparently it was like a real thing. Uh, really happened to the... Uh, Secretary State of War, not the Prime Minister. Uh, and then the last thing I had was that this has a connection to, uh, or another connection to The Sopranos, uh, because the title of the episode is kind of riffing from the episode of Sopranos, Guy Walks Into a Psychiatrist's Office. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I figured, yeah, that was the case. Um, yeah. Um, oh, did they ever, am I just forgetting, did they ever reveal what Don's like doodling whenever he sees the chart? Just like an American flag, I guess. Oh. Um, so yeah, I looked into that. Uh, it's not supposed to be anything specific. It's supposed to just like sort of represent how much he doesn't care. Um, and he's just being like kind of bratty. But yeah. I mean, I feel like we could read into that in an even a more interesting way, I think. But I just really figured I just didn't know if that was like something I had missed or if there was something more to that. Uh, I just wanted to make sure. I, I honestly, I, I kind of had the same thought. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think... Uh, that's the case. Uh, Leslie Linka Glatter uh, won a Director's Guild Award for her work on this episode. And uh, that episode at the end is a Bob Dylan song that did come out around this time. And the I forget what the Bob Dylan song is called. I'd have to look it up. But uh, what's interesting about that song, actually, is that uh, it sounds very, very similar to the uh, Don't Think Twice song uh, that they play for Bo uh, from Bob Dylan in season one. And mm -hmm. it, it's something to keep in mind when you look at like the how these scenes contrast of like that episode plays over Don being alone because he doesn't have a chance to redeem himself for not being there with his family when they went off for, uh, I think in that case it was Thanksgiving. And in this case it's July 4th week weekend, whatever you want to say. And he's with his daughter and his son. And you see that he has sort of like, he's, he has kind of grown a bit. Like he is a very different character since season one. So I think that's worth pointing out. He's obviously still Don. He's still, you know, he doesn't know how to keep it in his pants. We'll see what happens in the X episode, I guess. But uh, uh, otherwise, 
That's all I had. Speaking of keeping his pants, that name of the song is Song to Woody. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, oh, I did. I had one more and I forgot to uh, piece of trivia. Uh, uh, when Greg says that he goes to the Dublin house to drink, uh, that is a real bar. Uh, it's been open since the 1920s and it's on the Upper West Side. There you go. All right, boys. Next week, we are going to be talking about season three, episode seven, aptly just titled 723. It features a director who we have not seen an episode from before. And also, I genuinely have been looking at the title of this episode and I don't remember what happens in it. And that's pretty exciting for me because I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, I get to kind of be sort of, I don't know, reintroduced to an episode of Mad Men because I probably I haven't seen it in a good bit. So there you go. But thank you as always for listening. Um, guys, I mean, we're on Instagram now. We got an Instagram account. You can find us there. Mad Men Men. I think it's Mad Men Men Pod. Uh, you can follow us on there. We're not really using uh, the Twitter anymore, so you won't be able to find us there, unfortunately. Or maybe fortunately, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna you go can find us, find us on threads. We're uh, Thready Rumson. <laughs> we don't have a threads yet. Maybe we should, have, maybe we should kick one up. And name uh-huh. it Thready Rumson. I like it. It um, is. Might be the, the manager. It is nearly 2 a.m. You guys are talking about threads. Can I just go to sleep? <laughs> No, I know. I was actually thinking about this other, you know, kitchen sink drama that (laughs) we literally just collapsed on the ground. (laughs) We, for the listeners who don't know, Will not only has to record super late at night for this one, but also like uh, because of his audio issues, he's been having to record with his phone. So it's literally like he's been on an extended phone call with us while we've been just like goofing off, like leaning back, like I'm back in my chair, you know, Mike's just kind of kicking it. It makes me feel like, like to die. it makes me feel like we're in a long distance relationship. That's like the the angle it is, you know, those long right talks is, you'd have. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. I'm in past lives, uh, the movie, you know, where it's just like, oh no, you hang up first. Nice. Let's yeah, do that. Um, can't wait to see past lives this weekend. Um, I'm going to go to bed, so you guys can keep talking or whatever. So <laughs> have fun. See you, everybody.